continue worship with a reading from Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, be, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to church. Hearing from one of our elders, Josh Byford. Thanks, Mike. Morning, y'all. Fair warning. I'm nowhere near as funny or charming as Mike. So. I appreciate that, Mike. Got to step up my game to keep up with you, right? All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. We are glad that you're here. If we've not met, like Mike said, my name is Josh. It'd be funny if I had a different name, though. Um, I'm excited to have the opportunity to share this morning, and we are going to keep talking about marriage, so buckle up. Um, let's open with a little bit of scripture. We'll pray, and then we'll dive in, all right? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's pray. First of all, thank you, Jesus, that you were obedient to the will of the Father. And that obedience brought us to the point of salvation, something we could not do in our own strength, no matter how hard we tried. Lord, we ask for your grace uh, to be upon this message. We ask for uh, open hearts, open ears, Lord. Um, Lord, that, that we would hear what it is that you would say to us and give us the strength to, to deal with things that are uncomfortable, um, but ultimately form us more into your image. Be glorified in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like Mike said, if you've been with us the last six weeks or so, we've been talking about marriage, and uh, we're going to continue that this morning. And today, specifically, we're going to have a discussion on what is the effect that marriage has or should have on, on, on us, right, on, on the ones being in, in the marriage relationship together, right? So <clears throat> those of you in the room, you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want to. See who's brave, who's bold. Uh, now, um, so are you the same as you were when you got married? Are you the same today as you were when you got married? You look the same, right? Same hair color, same amount of hair. How about same size and shape, right? Everybody's as fit and, you know, feel so fitting into that wedding day tux or, or dress or whatever, right? You like the same things that you used to like? Do you spend all your time the same way you used to spend your time? What about your money? Do you spend all your money the same way you... If you got kids, surely not, right? So it's most likely the answer to all of these is no, right? Except for Pastor Chris. That dude has a great head of hair and he totally works out. Um, but seriously, I'd like to present, if I may, the hypothesis that if we're doing marriage correctly, we'll end up drastically different than where we started. Is that fair to say? All right. So a little bit of a personal story here. Hang with me if you can. Uh, I grew up the only child of a single mom. Furthermore, I was mostly homeschooled until high school. Some of you are going, well, that explains a lot right there. It's weird homeschoolers. Um, I tend to be a more introverted person, right? 
Um, so if I've not met you and talked to you yet, it's not because I'm a jerk. It's just I'm like real nervous about people. Um, <laughs> my preferred activities include things like hunting and fishing where I can get out in creation and kind of be by myself. And that, that just like, man, solitude is just that recharges the batteries for me. Now, what I just described was paradise for some of you and purgatory for others of you, right? Now, God, in his infinite wisdom, decided that I should marry my wife, Anna, or at least I believe that. Uh, have you met Anna? She's incredible. Dude, she's awesome. Mike was just talking about all the things that she does. Doesn't include peace, does not include solitude, does not include quiet. Dude, we are just nine nothing, go, 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 all the time. And she, she thrives. Dude, that like refills her tank. Um, so Anna, if you don't know, is the oldest of eight children. Single, single, only child, single parent, eight kids, and a Puerto Rican dad, okay? <clears throat> I don't know if you met Puerto Ricans. Um, have you ever seen that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, right? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie, right? So you know you've got kind of like the white nerdy dude and his like even nerdier white parents, right? And then they get together with this Greek family that's massive. And it's like, oopa, right? And they're like partying and all. And, and the parents are like, oh my God, what's happening? Right? It's not quite that bad because my mom's pretty cool. But um, for me, right, the first couple times I went to, to Anna's parents' house for, you know, Sunday dinner after church, I was like, what is going on? And so I would sneak out on the back deck and like, look at the woods and see if I could see deer or squirrels and people are like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm trying not to have a nervous breakdown right now, okay? So. Anyway, difference, right? Not the same. So we have these different ideas of what refills our tanks, what's good for us, what we like, what we don't like. And as individuals, we tend to what? Press into what works, I do what works for me, because I need it. Because if I don't, you're really not gonna like what you get from me, right? Seems reasonable, and I think there's, there's some validation. So let's go ahead and lay the baseline. This is not you have to convert into your spouse, right? Because let's be honest, if, if, if I became her and she became me, we'd be right back at the same conflict just from opposite sides, right? But I do think that there's room to grow. Can we agree to that? We all said we didn't wanna stay the same, right? And I'm not just talking about getting your hair back or slimming up, right? <laughs> so Anna and I didn't know when we first got married how to have a conversation around this is what recharges my batteries and this is what recharges your batteries. And I grew up with these things as being totally perfectly normal and you grew up with these other things being totally perfectly normal and they're different. And in some cases, what I said was good, you said was bad and vice versa, right? So I'm going to tell you another story. It's the last story. Um, have fun while you can, because we're going to get serious in a minute, and it's not going to be fun anymore. <clears throat> so the first or second year that we were married, I had access to this incredible fishing spot, right? It's this little private pond over in Winder that was owned by a doctor that my mom worked with. And dude, like, I could pretty much guarantee if you've never caught a fish before, I can take you there, and you're going to catch mega bass, like five pounders on the regular. So it was a honey hole, sure enough, right? So it was my birthday, and what would I want? My birthday's in May, so it's not hunting season, so what are we going to do? We're going to go fishing, right? 
And I said, you know, I, I can hang with like one other person, so I'm going to invite Pops to come fishing with me. Well, my mom got wind of this, and she's like, I also would like to go fishing with you guys. And then she said, Anna, wouldn't you love to come fishing with us? And Anna, being that, you know, first year or so newlywed wife, was like, well, yeah, I mean, I got to make it up to my mother-in-law, I guess. Sure, we'll come fishing. But in Anna's heart, Anna wasn't going to fish. Anna was going to read a book. She was going to work on her tan. And as I shared this with her last night, she said, no, actually, I had a bag full of, she was a, a public school teacher, so she had a bag full of papers to grade. I was going there to get work done because that's what recharges Anna's batteries, right? No such luck. My mom was not having Anna grading papers. We're here at the pond. It's the Uber pond. We've got the rods and reels. We're catching fish, Anna. So trying to bridge this gap right, I did my best, and I've got her with my best rod, with my best lure, and I have taught her the best way possible to make sure she catches the mega bass, right? And this goes on for about an hour and a half, two hours. We're like two hours in. I'm catching fish. Mom's catching fish. Pops is catching fish. Anna has not caught a fish. And Anna begins to let it sh be known that she's displeased with this situation. She starts saying things like, isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> expecting a different result? And we're like, well, but see, we did get different results because we caught some. Uh, and then, to make it very clear, she began to sing in a very intentionally off-key tone to the effect of, and it's, why is it on top of spaghetti? Who knows? But it's, oh, this is so stupid. Yes, this is so dumb. I mean, just, like, let it be known that Anna is displeased. About that time, God Almighty had mercy on us, and Anna gets a bite, Right? And dude, y'all, it is mega bass, right? She reels this bass up, and I see this thing come out of the water, and I'm like, oh, this is it. And it wasn't the five-pounder, but it was a four-pounder, right? And I said, honey, that's incredible. Do you know how long I fished in my life before I caught a four-pound bass? And she goes, can we go home now? <laughs> so what's the point of the story? Why are we talking about fishing? It all comes down to paradigms, right? I grew up in a paradigm where fishing was a good thing. It was a relaxing thing. It was a family time thing. And there was a goal. And man, if you caught a big fish, the paradigm was, dude, be excited about that. She didn't have a grid for that at all. Didn't mean a thing in the world to her. And in fact, it was some, some form of torture to her, what we were asking her to do that morning, right? On the flip side, uh, Anna's family are soccer people. Now, I grew up playing baseball and football, and I didn't know a thing in the world about soccer. And they lived and breathed. They, and you want to talk about energetic, dude, like Puerto Ricans at a soccer game. Right? People are, Anna, you know, I'm sitting next to Anna, and Seth's playing soccer, and she's like coming out of the chair, going to fight the ref. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hey, hey. Jail's a thing, and you're a teacher, and you can't be having all that. Paradigms. Right? In her paradigm, it was totally reasonable and acceptable. And this is how you go to a soccer game, dude. You get lit up if the ref makes a bad call, right? All right. So this word paradigm, um, I wasn't going to tell this, but I'm going to tell it now because I think it's kind of funny. Um, there was, uh, 
when I came out of college, I was in a, a kind of a management training program with this company, and this poor kid um, had graduated from South Carolina, and no one apparently explained to him how the word paradigm is pronounced. And so he sat there in a presentation to this board of directors and said paradigm like 15 times in a row. So every time I see that word, I, I remember the story about Bo. Uh, Webster's Dish Dictionary defines paradigm as a philosophical and theoretical framework within which theories, laws, and generalizations are formed, right? It probably tracks with most of our connotation, right, what we think about when we hear the word paradigm, unless you're like me and you think of Bo. Um, Can you read that one? Yep, a philosophical and theoretical framework within which theories, laws, and generalizations are formed, right? It's basically, it's the lens through which you view the world, right? Your worldview, got a frame around it, right? And there's laws inside. Law is serious, man. It's like, hey, dude, you push the toothpaste from the bottom. You don't grab it in the middle and squeeze it. You put the toilet paper over the top, not from under the bottom, right? You wash the towel after every shower, or you use that thing for a week and then wash it at the end of the week. These are paradigms. They're laws, right? It's like, dude, we, we do it this way. And if you don't, you're wrong. So, does it really matter how we feel about fishing or soccer or the toothpaste tube or the toilet paper or the towels? No. Somebody said yes. It's, listen, if you and your spouse agree to it, then that can be y'all's law, right? Um, but, you know, some people, some of you are out there waging guerrilla warfare, you know? It's like your, your wife is a bottom of the tube, and you're like, I'm going to squeeze it from the middle just to prove, you know? It's like bathroom toothpaste terrorists happen. Um, here's what's important. How do you respond? How do you respond when you encounter someone with a different paradigm than what you have? What do you do with that? So we have the option to say, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. Right? It's usually how we do it with our spouse, the people closest to us. Um, or we might like polish it up a little bit and go, it's just not my preference. Uh, here at Riverstone, we are people of the book, the book being the Bible. What does the book say about paradigms? Well, even in like really out there translations like the message, I didn't find the word paradigm. But I think we can draw some conclusions from other scriptures. You guys ready? Ephesians 5.21 calls us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're not talking about hobbies. We're not talking about what you want to eat for dinner or, or that kind of stuff. Uh, you don't have to like shopping as much as your wife does. You don't have to like football as much as your husband does. But there is a call. <laughs> Somebody said amen right there. But there is a call to get outside of ourselves as we love others, right? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, verses four and five says, love is patient and kind. It love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now, I'm sure this isn't true for any of you guys, but can I make a confession? We're in church, right? I tend to struggle with living this kind of love to my wife more than anyone else. People at work, extended family, like 
I actually work pretty hard to have grace, right? Because guess what? If I don't, you get fired, right? Or you're going to get in a real uncomfortable situation. You know, if I'm, if I'm not patient, kind, or I insist on my own way, um, or I'm just irritable all the time at work, you're not going to get the, you know, not going to get where you want to go. Um, but after keeping up appearances on the job and with other people all day, you know, don't you just kind of want to let your hair down when you get home? You just kind of want to be yourself? I mean, after all, shouldn't, shouldn't my spouse understand that? Shouldn't they be patient and kind with me? Shouldn't they not insist on their own way? I mean, God forbid I come home and my wife's irritable. It's not allowed, right? It's in the Bible. Brothers and sisters in Christ, look at me. The one to whom you vowed before God to love in sickness and in health until death do us part deserves your best, not your worst. At the end of it all, why would you put on for people in public and come home and shred the one that, that you vowed to be with, that you vowed to love forever? And furthermore, you are in charge of and responsible for your and only your response. Your patience, your kindness, not theirs. Okay? That's between them and God, and it's up to you to be responsible for yours. Tim Keller says in The Meaning of Marriage, whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but for the other. And that is the hardest yet single most important function of being a husband or a wife in marriage. Said another way, the hardest yet single most important function of being a husband or wife in marriage is to live not for ourselves, but for the other. The most important function of marriage is not deciding which school to put your kids in. It's important, but that's not it. It's not deciding what you're going to have for dinner every Tuesday night. It's not how often you guys are going to connect intimately. It's not, you know, what your retirement plans are or, or any of the rest of it. It's being selfless. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, we read this earlier. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and what? And gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And further, Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So both of these passages describe Christ giving himself up and further call us to do the same. Now as a man, I have a paradigm for laying down my life for my family, right? I can get there. If some dude comes to my house in the middle of the night and I hear glass breaking, what do you think I'm going to do? Oh, no, Anna. No, man, I'm going to jump out of bed and I'm going to go take that joker out, right? Like, and if I go down in the fight, man, like I went down in valor, right? You know, I'm going to Valhalla. What if the giving myself up that I'm called to isn't this majestic moment of valor, but rather it's from 6 to 9 p.m. every single day? Okay. 
It's hard because it's real. You know, helping my wife with the dinner and the baths and the bedtime and the routine that's dull. And the kids won't listen. You told it to them the hundredth time. You're like, come on, guys. You choose them over working late or stopping by the gym or hanging out with your friends. And not just being there physically, but mentally and emotionally. Brothers, let's not only be willing to die for our families in a moment of valor, but let's actually die for them every day. Let's die to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Let's die to sin. Let's die to every selfish ambition within us. And I bet you, if we give ourselves up that way, our wives will have no issue submitting to our leadership, right? That's what, and if they do have moments of weakness, let's remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we somehow get the idea that, well, when she gets her stuff together, then I'll get my stuff together. When she becomes selfless, that's when I'll start to think about it. We're wrong. In order for us to love our wives... As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, we've got to do it whether our spouse deserves it or not. So marriage should have a transformative effect on our lives. Marriage should make us look more like Jesus. And, and it's sort of that killing two birds with one stone thing, right? Because if we take the steps we need to solidify our marriage relationship, it will naturally also bring us closer to God, right? Some of you have seen this before. You've got you here and your spouse here and God up here, right? And so the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other, right? It's a pretty simple, easy diagram. It's the walking of it out day after day, minute by minute, hour by hour, that becomes incredibly difficult. And it's, it's, it's brought forth not in the highs. It's not brought forth on date night or on vacation or when you're having a party. It's brought forth when you're stressed and you're done and you're tired and, and you're dealing with, you know, financial stuff that you hadn't planned on. It's, it's in those moments where if you will choose, both of you, to yield your own will, yield your own preference, Right? Be Christ to one another. Give yourself up for each other. And then you grow together. And then the great part about it is every time you do that, every time you make that choice, it's like hitting another level, right? It's another foundation. And so the next time that that thing comes up, we've been here before. We've gone through this before. We know what this looks like. Let's, let's build on that foundation and take another level up and another level up and another level up. And as we come closer together, we get more Christ-like. <clears throat> so our response should be that of allowing iron to sharpen iron, yielding to one another, getting out of our comfort zones instead of being stagnant, stagnant and selfish. And growth often involves discomfort and even sometimes pain, but the end result is much, much better. 
And just as we die daily to our flesh in our individual walk with God, we should die daily to our flesh in our marriages. Doing so will cause both our spouses and our marriage relationships to flourish. All right. We're going to move to the part of our worship service where we take communion.